listening to Good Heavens, a podcast about the universe. powerful explosion and shattering of hundreds of panes of glass are not sound effects, but actual recorded footage of an atmospheric detonation of a 13,000-ton meteor over Chelyabinsk, Russia, on February of 2013. Observers first saw the incredible vapor trail and bright flash of light in the sky. 90 seconds later, the sonic blast and powerful shockwaves rang the earth like a gothic church bell. Ever since we have been looking up at the stars, we have been fascinated by meteors, or more colloquially, shooting stars. They are quick, bright flashes and streaks of light that delight our senses. Thousands of tons of meteors enter the Earth's atmosphere every year. Several years ago, I hosted a Geminid meteor shower party in my backyard. The Geminids peak in mid-December and are often the most prolific meteor shower of the year, being able to see upwards of 50 to 100 meteors in just an hour. We stayed up late drinking wassail, coffee, and hot chocolate, and as we stood out in the back cool wintry air and caught precious glimpses of these celestial messengers, a few of the adults would clandestinely drop Hershey's kisses in the laps of their children as the meteors streaked across the sky. In mid-November, another fantastic display of celestial fireworks is the Leonid meteor shower, named after the constellation Leo the Lion from which these divine sparks of glory emanate. In 1833, a most fantastic shower of Leonid meteors graced the night sky. Tens of thousands of meteors per hour were reported to have streaked through the stars. Similar spectacular showers appeared in 1866 and 1867, as well as 1966 and 1999, where over 3,000 meteors were reported in just one hour. On this two-part episode of Good Heavens, Wayne and I unpack some of the divine glory being declared by meteors, meteoroids, and meteorites. What exactly is a meteor? From where do they come? Why are they so fantastic looking? And why do we love to watch a meteor shower? So come along with Wayne and I as we look up and dive into the wondrous world of these glorious celestial fireworks on this episode of Good Heavens. Well, good heavens, Wayne. It's another good heavens. Hi, Dan. We're at it again. We're still at it. We are. Let's uh, let's give this a whirl. <laughs> 
We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, Wayne, there's a bunch of rocks just floating in the sky. Did you know yes, that? Yes, there's lots of rocks that come down and fall on the earth all the time. And fortunately, most of them are yes. little tiny things that don't uh, don't affect us. Hey, Wayne, have you ever made a rock float before? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to do. If You can throw it up in the air and it temporarily is suspended because of something we call gravity. We can temporarily put a rock in uh, in orbit, right? Now, if you were to stand on top of Mount Everest and throw a rock as hard as you could, it would go out a little bit. But if you had a bionic rocket-like arm, Wayne, you could throw that rock hard enough to where it would remain in orbit around the Earth. That is, you threw it so hard yeah. that the force of your throw would be stronger than the force of gravity. And... Uh, and it would stay in this wonderful equilibrium, a gravitational equilibrium of balance. But anyway, I'm just kind of rambling here. We're going to be talking well, about that's, meteorites. That's true, Dan. And that's kind of uh, was the beginning of Isaac Newton's thinking when he was figuring out gravity. So he right. started with that and ran with it. Right. And so now uh, then along came Albert Einstein. And he said, well, it's really all just a bunch of stuff laying on an invisible carpet. And the stuff makes an, a dent. <laughs> In the invisible carpet, but it's more like uh, nylon material, or if you think of uh, kids in the backyard jumping on a trampoline. Uh, yeah, it's uh, stretchy. It's stretchy, it's, but it's invisible it's, stretchy. We don't, we yes. don't, we see the effects of this invisible stretchiness. But imagine going out in your backyard and all the neighborhood kids are on your uh, cool invisible trampoline. You got a target. You can't see the fabric, but the kids are bouncing up and down on it. And uh, that's, that's that's kind right. of a picture of of asteroids and meteorites, right? Yeah, and so uh, let's hear, or let's picture Earth uh, going along in its orbit, right? And yeah. now and then it um, either uh, goes right through or nearby an orbit of a comet, and, the, and sometimes it may be even an asteroid. Yeah. And uh, when it comes nearby, then the, to those little objects... Earth is a massive thing, so it can they get pulled toward the Earth. Right. We see them at night coming through the sky and getting burned up. Yeah, and it's it's uh if you we've all experienced this. So imagine you're in your car and you're on a highway, and uh, this happens a lot in Texas. In fact, it happened to me yesterday. You somebody is in a giant truck, and uh, they're going faster than you, and they pass you, and as they're accelerating. They get in front of you and hit the gas some more. And if it's a big diesel truck, uh, what comes out of their exhaust? But this giant, giant black cloud of exhaust. Usually it's diesel <laughs> if it's a bigger truck. Yeah. Um, but, but, but in that instance, that's not unlike what happens in a meteor shower. That if you in your car are the Earth and you have just entered the dust trail of, of this diesel truck in front of you, and uh, of course, in uh, when when Earth passes in the dust trail of a comet or an asteroid, mostly a comet, as you said, uh, that debris is uh, is coming off of the comet, and uh, in the form of tiny little sand grains, um, just falling through Earth's atmosphere. Yes, and if you're having an unlucky day, maybe the tires of the diesel truck will have a little pe- a little rock caught in it'll kick up a little little yes. pebble and the pebble might break your windshield that's right or the tire might come off and uh, then blast and pieces might come off or if 
you're behind so that, it. That's really that's really kind of like what comets uh, do <laughs> really with are. the Earth. Yeah, right, right, right. But if you're behind a construction trailer or uh, a giant truck with rocks in it, uh, as you say, you know this debris can fall off and fall behind uh, the the vehicle that gets in front of you. And uh, sometimes, a lot of that time, you know, it's just sand. It's in- inconsequential. The dust might smell a little bit. But sometimes there are bigger grains, uh, bigger rocks, bigger objects that can strike your car uh, to your car's detriment, right? And yes. uh, so that's what a lot of astronomers are concerned about now are what they call these uh, near-Earth asteroids. Um, but we are going far afield because really what we want to talk about are the cool things that you see at night in your backyard, and Wayne, I will tell you, in preparation for our talk, I went out the last few nights, and uh, oh, actually in the morning because the moon sets at about 4 o'clock this morning, and I observed, I was just having coffee and watching, uh, and I saw about five or six meteors, meteors in the course of about an hour, and uh, I don't know if they're the leftovers of the Perseids or if they're, left o- or if they're the beginnings of the Orionids. Uh, but we're sort of between the seasons of those. And uh, I saw five or six uh, very small ones. So let's talk about what exactly are we seeing, Wayne, when we look up in the sky and we see a meteor. Let's talk about, first, let's tell our audience, let's define the characteristics. Uh, because there's meteorites, there's meteors, and well, there's it's, meteoroids. Let's, yeah, let's start with meteoroids. Yes. Meteoroids are out in space. We don't. We don't see them like a shooting star because they haven't come into our atmosphere. They're out in space. So, But if they come close enough to Earth, they may get pulled in to our atmosphere. And if they get into our atmosphere, so they start to burn up in the atmosphere. Um, and sometimes they come apart in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Then, then they're called a meteor. So a meteor is in our atmosphere. And Earth is slowing it down for us and breaking it up for us. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, if it's a if it makes it all the way to the surface without uh, being vaporized, uh, it's called a meteorite. Yes. So the meteoroids. Now, a distinction should be made between meteoroids and asteroids. I'm sure people are going, "What's the difference between these things?" Now, a- an asteroid is just much, much larger, and a meteoroid would be considered to be a piece of an asteroid, right? Yes, and actually there's another term I think we should bring into this. It's uh, often called micrometeoroid. Yes, or explain micro, that. Or micrometeorite. So when when scientists count meteorites, I don't I don't know exactly what their cutoff in size is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would I would guess it's maybe something like a sand grain or something, but I right. don't know exactly. Yeah, the small but, is- but there there are really t- much smaller particles that are microscopic in size and mm. there's really lots of them lots and lots of right lots of them right that that fall on the earth every day and but the media even the meteors meteorites they would account for uh there's various estimates of how many and some some people would say 100 or 200 tons a day mm-hmm. although it, some, some there's a lot of different estimates on this and how much it is um some would estimate something like four or five thousand tons per year, but I've if it's if the hundred hundred tons a day is right, that would be thirty six thousand tons a year. Yeah, I've I've seen the figures between forty thousand and sixty thousand tons of stuff 
uh, per year, and most of that would be something like what we would consider to be sand or or smaller. And yeah, that, but th- those numbers is accounting for all sizes. So that all means sizes, right. that means the micrometeors and the uh, meteors and mm-hmm. meteorites, the, all of them that come into our atmosphere. Yeah, not just what make it to the ground, but anything that we end up seeing. Now, it's it's interesting, too, because there there are these things called um, falls, meteorite falls, where an observer sees the streak, watches it hit the ground, and goes and collects the actual rock. I mean, uh, I saw a YouTube video where this actually happened. I think it was in Australia or something. Um, and, and it's happened before where people have seen something hit the ground, They've, they've seen the streak, and they've went and procured pieces of the meteorite. Of course, uh, it's not recommended that you do that immediately. <laughs> if you see a meteorite hit in your yard, don't go pick it up with your bare hands. It's going to be a little hot. Uh, yes. Uh, but um, uh, let's talk about briefly. Well, first, there's there's so many fascinating ways we could go with this, Wayne. Let's let's talk about some, uh, some, some big ones. Uh, have you ever been? I know I was. This was so disappointing. Uh, several years ago when I was getting my undergrad degree, a friend of mine and I drove uh, to the Grand Canyon, and on our way, we stopped at the Flagstaff, Arizona Meteor Crater. It's uh, just about 37 miles from Flagstaff, and uh, it's about three-quarters of a mile across and uh, almost 600 feet deep, and uh, there's not anything left of the rock. There's little pieces there, but uh, that was a meteor impact of large and significant size um and you can still go out to the crater but when we went out to the crater site (laughs) we got there like 10 minutes after the place closed (laughs) so we missed that tourist attraction but uh, that's out in the arizona desert but you remember um it's been eight years now the meteor in uh in russia on the 15th of february in 2013 uh something that weighed more than the eiffel tower uh, streaked through the Russian skies in the early morning. Uh, a bunch of fragments were found. People saw the explosion. And then 90 seconds, or about 90 seconds to two minutes later, then the sonic uh, boom from the explosion happened. They saw the streak fizzle out, and then, oh, nothing happened. And then 90 seconds later, kaboom. And the the sounds, Wayne, are just surreal. The It sounds so amazing. It's frightening almost the boom and then the the subsequent explosions as it as it came into the atmosphere it shattered glass a thousand uh, a thousand or so people were injured from from falling glass because everybody was looking up at it But that that's a that was a significant. They estimated it to be about fourteen thousand tons, um, and a huge smoke trail through that. But most of the meteors that we see, uh, the pleasant kind that we see um, in our backyards, have certain names. And uh, so briefly, and then I'll let you speak here for just a minute. I wanted to just give everybody the general. How do we classify a meteor shower? There are Lyrids. So a meteor comes, what they do, and you know what the radiant is, right, Wayne? The radiant of a meteor shower. Yeah, when you're looking at them in the sky, um, it looks like they're coming from a point. 
Right. In right. The looks sky. like they're, they're exactly exactly. It's because of uh, our point of view looking up. They're sort of pulled in from an orbit. Yes, and, and they're, they're being pulled off of an orbit toward the Earth atmosphere, and we are sort of turning into this yes. at night. And We're so on the dark side of the Earth, looking up, and it's it's pulled toward us. So it looks like it's coming from a point in the sky. Right. So the astronomers will label these meteor showers, and they are predictable, and uh, you can see them every year. Um, and they come out of so the the point at which the meteors look like they're coming out of. Uh, come out of a constellation. So if you're familiar with your constellations, it's very helpful. You know which direction to look when a meteor shower comes. This past spring, in the springtime, the Lyrids. And they're named after the constellation from which they come, uh, from which they look like they come, but they're they're given an IDS ending. So Lyra is the constellation uh, of the harp, and so the meteorites that come out of there are called, the meteors that come out of there are called the Lyrids. And that happens in April. And then uh, you have the, and there's several others. I'm not going to name all of them here, um, just some of the bigger ones. Then you have the Leonids, and those are exciting. Uh, the, the Leonids in 1966 were responsible for a prolific meteor shower that happened that uh, I think it was over 1,000 per hour uh, that, that happened. Uh, so that comes out of the constellation, as you imagine, that comes out of the constellation Leo. And so the Leonids are active coming in November. Uh, from uh, most of the month of November. And the peak night is right in the middle of the month, the 17th and the 18th. Those Um, are coming out, um, hopefully. And um, they anticipate that... uh, It's it's fascinating. The Leonids are some of the fastest meteors in the sky, 158,000 miles per hour, they believed uh, to be, uh, when they streak across. And um, Right, and Dan, the, uh, the speed would have to do with the orbit of the comet, that they come right. from. They're almost always from comet orbits, and the mm-hmm. Leonids are from a comet called 55P Temple Tuttle. Yes, a tiny. So, so a comet, and and we've did a whole episode on comets, and so we'll link that so you can find out more about comets. They're dirty snowballs that go around the sun, and as they approach the sun, the sun's winds. Uh, tear off the ice and snow and and the ice and the rock and and those little fragments are what uh what uh, creates the meteors and the meteorites that we see and then my favorite i hope we have good weather this year my favorite uh of all the years is the uh, geminids uh from december the 4th till the 16th the peak night of the geminids coming out of the constellation of gemini uh easily found by the twin stars of pollux and castor um they peak on the night of December 13th and 14th, and uh, we'll get into this a little bit more uh, later because there's something fascinating about these that I want to talk more about. And, Dan, the Geminids are unique in that they come from a asteroid. That's right. 3200 Phaethon. 3200 Phaethon. That was discovered on October 11th, 1983 by the IRAS satellite, IRAS, I-R-A-S, NASA's Infrared Astronomical Satellite. So that's what IRAS stands for. Discovered on 1983, in 1983 on the 11th of October. Wayne, did you know that NASA has classified Phaethon as a potentially hazardous near-Earth object? Okay. How about that? But now, you, as you said, they have, there's discussion in the astronomical community about Phaethon who is, by the way, in Greek and Roman mythology, he is the son of Helios, 
the oh. sun god. Oh. And uh, the, the, the story goes that he wrote, he wanted to ride his father's chariot. Dad agreed, but Junior nearly burned up the earth with his, uh, his uh, wanton uh, bad driving habits, if you will, and uh, <laughs> could not... Could not hold the sun in orbit. And uh, so the reason this one is called Phaethon is because of how close this asteroid comes in its perihelion. It comes really close to the sun. And uh, it made a very close pass on um, in 2017 that astronomers were able to get some pictures of it, uh, radio signals and, and other things. So it's, it's a tiny little thing, Wayne. It's comet-like, but not quite a comet. Yeah, Dan, Dan there are some comets that see almost asteroid-like and there's some asteroids that see almost comet-like mm, yeah but usually they're different uh, the uh, comets are more icy and it's kind of a a loose conglomeration of right. material and ice right and, but uh, uh asteroids are more rocky the, the the wonderful and i love this uh, there's no real answer to it that i've seen in preparation for our store our show here uh this object is too small to be producing the prolific amount of meteors that you see in the Geminids. Um, mm-hmm. You can see in a good Geminid night, 50 to a hundred, depending on um, your viewing conditions. And um, uh, last year there was a new moon, but I think it was cloudy on, on the night of the December. So I couldn't see any, but, uh, but it, the, 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 the asteroid itself is too small, astronomers believe, to be the source material for the Geminid meteor showers. Yes, and uh, this this ties into some other scientific mysteries, Dan. Yeah. So, meteorites that we find on the Earth are classified by composition, and then there are classifications of asteroids by their composition. And the classification systems are similar for the two. They're not exactly the same, but there are meteorites that they believe come from certain asteroids, and sometimes they they think they know where they came from, which asteroid. Now, this is not an exact kind of thing. Uh, I don't think they can be totally certain on this, but uh, there's always some differences between the, uh, uh, the uh, some of the meteorites and the asteroids, so the composition doesn't match perfectly, and then so there, you're talking about the number of of the meteors, and the, mm-hmm. but but the composition raises the same problem mm. that the composition of the meteorites is sometimes, even though it's in a certain group, but you would think it'd be from the same asteroid, it doesn't always fit because of the composition is different. Uh, so there's some mysteries on this, and I think it speaks of something happening in the past that doesn't happen anymore. And um, so I think there are, there are these small objects that kind of drift inward. And because the asteroids are out there beyond Mars orbit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they, they tend to, some of them tend to drift inward. And we're, we're in their path sometimes when they drift inward. And, and that's the near-Earth asteroids that they're concerned about. But there's a lot of little particles that are scattered around the solar system. And some of those end up coming close to Earth. You know, and the other wonderful mystery about meteors, Wayne, um, 
I love when we get into these. My favorite thing about what we do with our podcast is that we get into these mysteries. I love them. Yes. <laughs> I love them. I love being able to say, we don't know. And it's not that I, we have any sort of disrespect for the scientists who investigate these things. Of course, they're going to propose theories and we're not, we're not trying to make light of them or, or necessarily, you know, say that they're lying about anything or, but, but the theories, when you read the, about them, Wayne, so we've talked about planetary formation We've talked about star formation and added, add to this list now, meteor formation. How do meteors and asteroids even begin to form? And you find, at least I did when I was looking into this, I watched a short video of, a, of an astrogeologist talking about this. Uh, he was talking about chondrites and chondrules. Mm-hmm. And this was fascinating. And it's in the book that we will reference the book that we're, we're citing here. We have a couple of books that we're using. They, they talk about this as well, that chondrites are, me- are a kind of meteor uh, that contain chondrules. And chondrule is a Greek, comes from a Greek word that means grain, like sand grain. And when mm-hmm. you crack open these meteors, when you go find them, they land in Antarctica. It's easy to find a meteor a meteorite in Antarctica because there's no rocks. Everything is white and frozen. And usually the black and dark rocks that are on the surface of the ice are from meteors, uh, meteorites. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you slice these things open and uh, we have uh, brother guy who's in our cosmos book. It does a whole chapter on meteors and meteorites. And he has these samples and these wonderful pictures that look like stained glass windows from a church. They're beautiful. They are these little circular grains and they are circular um, in these beautiful minerals that look like jewels and they're tiny. They're like sand grains or bigger. Imagine the most beautiful marble, right? Like these, I loved marbles when I was a kid. I loved the different kinds of designs in the glass, but these are, these chondrules are inside meteorites. And the current theory says that all these little tiny round chondrules came together accreted. They, they smashed together. They collided together. They got glued together in the early universe and uh, this geologist was saying that the chondrules were formed in the early part of the universe, don't really know how, or don't really know how they came together to form meteorites or meteors and then asteroids. But these little tiny round circular, beautifully colored granules called chondrules are what make up a large part of the meteor. And really, it remains a mystery as to how these beautiful little round circular objects came together to form the larger Objects that we know like planets. So you look at the circularity of chondrules and you look and you look at the, the spherical circularity of planets. And, you know, the prevailing assumption is that this all crashed together gradually over time somehow. But it's really hard to explain like star formation, Wayne. How did this all start to happen? How did this beauty and wonder and these little tiny things accrete and come together to make rocks and planets uh, yes you know so yes and so i've looked into this quite a bit dan actually and uh science has a lot of trouble explaining how you can go from small objects to large objects so like compare the size of a of a sand grain or a baseball or you or a, a bowling ball those are all small but a large something large would be like the size of a house or the size of a football stadium let's say uh or maybe double the size of a football stadium see how do you go from the small to the large 
That's something scientists have a great difficulty explaining, even to this day. And and I can I can give technical quotes on that. I know the sources. I've looked at their research. Now, so uh, that's all still a mystery, really. Now, I think a lot of meteors and meteorites probably come from impacts. The, the asteroids are colliding with each other occasionally, but they probably do that less than they used to. And uh, there's comets. Comets sometimes hit uh, objects in the solar system, and, and that causes uh, an explosion. If you have fast-moving object that hits a, another object, it makes an explosion, and it melts material uh, for, for a moment, and then it gets cooled off in space very quickly. And uh, so that explains a lot to me, uh, but we don't necessarily know everything that happened in the past in the solar system, and I don't necessarily buy all the origins theories. I think it's possible there could have been more collisions in the past than today. Um, and that collisions were possibly part of how God created. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think the collisions formed the earth. Now I think earth was predicted mm-hmm. in the creation week while other things were involving collisions outside of earth probably. You know, this has been a an issue that creationists have debated of yeah. how do you fit in impacts? Right. How do you fit in impacts in a in a young age view of the solar system? Well, there's been a lot of discussion around and that. And there's no there's no uh, denying, we're not denying that things don't collide in the universe. Of course they do. I mean, we get, as you said, we have several, <laughs> several thousand tons of stuff colliding with Earth all the time. The question is, Wayne, in these collisions, as you say, uh, whether they be comets or asteroids or meteorites or whatever, in these collisions, what what we, I think, the thing that is most mysterious is that collisions. And we've talked about this before. Collisions imply chaos and destruction and melting, and uh, all these kinds of things. The the wonder is, and this is this is the the great mystery for naturalistic sciences. The wonder is, how do you get from chaotic collisions to such beauty and order and regularity? That's the you right. know. So so the cosmos, as you know in Greek, means arrangement. An arrangement, an adorning. It's from the where we get the word cosmetic and cosmology. It is an arrangement. So can we ultimately say that the universe as it is, from the mountains and the meteors and the comets and the asteroids and the planets and the stars, was this all arranged by haphazard collisions of material and matter? Or was God intimately involved in, in how they came together? And that that's I mean, at least from a from a creationist, non-creationist standpoint, not not the nature of the age question. But that's the problem. What I think with with modern material science, Wayne, is that when you talk about the universe developing over time and we've talked about this before, it seems to follow very similar philosophical and epistemological assumptions about a long, slow, gradual development without God. Yes. So um, God is in control of even chaotic things. 
he can have a purpose in even the chaotic kind sometimes. Yes. Well, what seems chaotic to us. Because it kind of keeps us on our toes. It sort of right. Right. makes us ask questions of why, and it makes us uh, reminded of our mortality at times, and I think that's healthy for us. Right. Uh, well, I wanted to, uh, before we began, I forgot, I wanted to read something from Isaiah. Uh, I call him the cosmic prophet because he, uh, <laughs> he has a lot of references <laughs> to the heavens in, uh, right. in, in the book. And so and I'm going to go through some select verses from Isaiah chapter 40. And um, he says, uh, he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by a span? And calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or his counselor, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding, and who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales behold he lifts up the islands like fine dust all, uh. all the nations are nothing before him they are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless and then it says to whom will then will you liken god or what likeness will you compare with him and so the interesting thing there for me, Wayne, is nations like dust to God, nations like sand grain. Yeah. And so here we are, these little sand grains that enter our atmosphere, Wayne, can be reminders of what God is saying to us through Isaiah here, that they come, they're there for a moment, they flash in all their fury, and then they're gone those little dust grains beautiful as they are in their in their brief moment in existence they enter the earth's atmosphere they streak across the sky and then they are no more and so it, it's interesting that the nations are compared to dust and so when you look up at the sky and you see a meteorite that's pretty much the lifespan <laughs> in god's eyes of a nation right a dust grain and physicists like to study things that go boom. <laughs> so right. it's always interesting to the physicists uh, what happens when something blows up. We right. Well, know, we want to know what happened in an right. explosion. Right, right. And and there's one. it's a wonderful thing to, to study the booms, right? Um, but we like to try here on Good Heavens, though we don't, we don't do it perfectly, that to, to remind us all that there's more to the physicality of the world which science is mostly concerned with the physical makeup of things. But Wayne, it, it means something, because if you think about God taking the time to create everything that he did, there's a purpose and a reason behind why God made rocks floating in the sky, sand grains that burn up and light up and planets and stars and moons and Saturn's rings and meteors and asteroids. What does this finally all mean? So one more verse from Isaiah uh, about this, Isaiah forty twenty six. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these stars. Now, biblically, Wayne, we did a whole chapter. We did a whole episode on stars in the Bible, and stars are anything that in in biblical times, anything that is a light in the sky. So, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, 
He calls them all by name. And because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And so here are these wonderful little meteors in, in the eyes of Isaiah and all the writers of the Bible or people of the Bible times. A star would have been any light in the sky. And so God is leading and directing the course of even the tiniest sand grain, uh, showing them by his signs and wonders. These are part of what God does in the heavens, his signs that declare his glory. Even these sand grains that enter our atmosphere and burn up are part of the glory of God. And so, and then I'll wrap up with this, and then you can offer your thoughts. Verse 27 of Isaiah 40 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. And so we see a meteor and we go, wow, you know, I mean, it's wonderful. You've been over to the house when we had a meteor, uh, a Geminid party a couple of years ago where we had, had some kids over and it was just, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And we were out till midnight and every time there was one, we would be excited about it. But, you know, it reminds us of God's care for us, that, that he guides and directs the smallest sand grain. He guides and directs the nations. He guides and directs each one of us. He names all the stars. And so, you know, to me, I think it's, it's funny. The other morning uh, I was sitting out there, as I said, I was having coffee and I said, Lord, can you show me a meteor? And before I finished my sentence, <laughs> I saw one. <laughs> it was kind of fun. And I was like, thank you, Lord. That was fun. You know, he doesn't always answer, yeah. doesn't always answer the, that, 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 that prayer request, but it was just me and him out in the stars and, and whew, I wasn't expecting one, but there it was. It was kind of cool. But you know, it, it shows us Wayne that God, God, cares for us and he knows where we are and he loves us if he's guiding and directing the course of the grains of sand and the stars in the sky he's guiding and directing our courses as well 